So we look upon something that is impossible to find what is good, a diagnosis of cancer and the treatments she was going to have to face or the death at 13 days of a, of a newborn. And so here's something really powerful that God is sovereign, he's good, and he loves me. And pain and suffering in God's hands is nothing like what it is simply in our hands. Welcome to the Extraordinary Lives Podcast, where we talk about lives that go beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary, with the extra being Jesus. We'll be encouraged with amazing stories and helpful insights from the lives of ordinary people who have that extra, that supernatural difference that only Jesus can give. I'm your host, Ellen Bennett. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here with Dr. Jeff Pratt, who is the head of schools at Calvin Christian in Escondido, California. And I have known Jeff for over 10 years. He was my boss over at Horizon Prep. I'm just so grateful that he's over here at Calvin, able to put his vision that the Lord has given him in place. And we'll be hearing more about that and about what it means to be an image bearer of God, also about education, what education should be. So welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Ellen. So let's start. I am curious about your background. I believe you grew up in Bishop, California. Is that right? Bishop, California. Mm -hmm. That is one of our favorite places. We love that area of the Sierras. Known to most people who have been there either for shots Dutch Bakery yes, or Mule Days, of all things. It's Mule Capital of the World. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and about your family. So for those who haven't been there, Bishop is in the Eastern Sierras. It's in a little valley called the Owens Valley. And it's um, really the the town itself is just two square miles. And there's only a few thousand people that live there. I don't know what the exact population is now. It was around 10, 10, 12,000 when I was there. So that meant most of the people lived outside of the actual city limits of Bishop. It's landlocked because of water rights and so LA controlled water coming down so it really probably never will turn into like a Denver. Otherwise it, it probably would because it's such a beautiful area. I lovingly refer to it as God's hometown because it's, it. it's set between two mountain ranges and actually a lot of people they may know that the tallest mountain in the continent United States is just an hour from Bishop South in Lone Pine. Mount yes. Whitney. But actually so goes the rumor White Mountain which is in the White's Uh, which is one of the mountain ranges on one side of the valley, Owens Valley, White Mountain is actually a few feet taller than Mount Whitney. I I guess they just didn't want to change the books. Wow, that is intriguing. I didn't know that. And if you were to face east and look at the mountains, they look so dramatically different. If you just turn literally 180 degrees around and look at the Sierras, Sierra Mm -hmm. Nevadas. So they're jagged peaks on the one side with Mount Tom, Mount Basin, yes. Emory, and, and then on the other side, these kind of rounded. So it's very, very interesting. It so. is. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful area. Love it. Tell me a little bit about your family. Well, I grew up in a family with two public school teachers. So I always loved school. Maybe that's not always the case for those that are teacher's kids, but I did. I just always loved school. And so my mom, was mostly elementary, most of her career, first grade, and my dad worked in high school. And so he was a music teacher for a long, long time, but the last part of his career, about 15 years, 
due to cuts in the arts. So he taught, you know, choir, band, and all of that. But he went from seven-period day in the California school system down to a couple of periods. And at that shift, he moved over to teaching in his minor in history, okay. uh, economics, government. Bishop doesn't have any private schools because it's so small. So one public school that very much had private aspects to it. We all knew each other so well. My parents moved there when I was turning five and started kindergarten, and they lived there 50 years. So I grew up kindergarten through 12th grade, and I knew most of the people in my graduating class because they were in my kindergarten. So my parents worked on both ends of that as well with my mom teaching. So for a while, all the kids that she taught in first grade, almost all she saw graduating through my dad. Oh, wow. That is so cool. And I love that. Only a small town, right? Yes. And here you are, a teacher and an education, and you married a teacher. Mm -hmm. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yes. So before we get into that, though, tell me a little bit about how you became a follower of Jesus. Sure. So I definitely would be one of those kids that tell the story that Christian faith is all I really ever remember hearing in my family, although that wasn't the case. My parents have a different testimony coming to faith, but they raised us that way. I have one sister who lives in North Carolina. But that's a beautiful thing, right? The language we would use now is that, you know, by God's providential design, I was in a covenantal family, that it wasn't accidental. I was in a family with parents who had a a deep relationship with God through Christ. And so I remember I was baptized at a very young age. I'm told that I understood well what it meant, but I was five years old. And I remember we were in a Baptist church, Calvary Baptist Church, and Pastor Tim Hook baptized me. And I remember entering the baptismal, stepping onto the cement block so I could see over the edge of the the baptismal. And um, so I have great memory of that. I mean, it's solid there in my mind, but we all know too that you grow up with parents as primary teachers and shepherds and disciplers to then, by God's design, to leave and then begin a family of your own and married Sonia get to that part of the story and in that process your faith the way you take God at his word and and know who he is the Bible is clear that knowing God is to love him and to be known by God is to be loved by him Mm. so this knowing and loving it there's a synonymous nature to that and as you're growing up you're coming to understand what that means especially in our Christian faith we understand that it's a faith of revelation that God reveals himself to us in his word and especially in his son Jesus. So God the Son steps into a historic period of time and it's all part of his plan to to redeem us and to to find us. Yeah. For the gift of faith to be formed in us whether that story plays out in a family where you're raised in faith or not, you know, right. where you come later in life. Right. So that becomes your own, and that becomes your own as you grow up and read and think and study and interact with other people and ask a lot of questions. Definitely. Mm -hmm. It definitely always has to become your own, doesn't it? It's not just transferred from a family. How did that happen for you? What were some significant events or times in your life where you remember just establishing that relationship to be even stronger? Mm. Well... I know you have a lot of great questions here, Ellen, and that's certainly one of them. And that's a whole podcast, right, as probably any of these questions are. The short answer is is people, right? So people and God's Word, and, and usually those things in combination. So we know that we come to faith by hearing God's Word, as it says in Romans, but we often hear God's Word so often through people that God has placed in our life whose lives themselves have been transformed. Yes. And they become living legacies and testimonies to what faith is and what it's doing 
in the life of a redeemed and regenerate image bearer. So, you know, that's, that's my story over lots and lots of relationships. I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ as well as university for a little while. I went to a big public university where I met Sonia. So thankful for a number of relationships there. Pastors from my hometown. So there's a couple of pastors that were very influential. My family was involved in a couple of churches. Uh, my mom is the only child, so I have a set of grandparents that, that have gone to be with the Lord, but were very, very influential in my life and their church relationships and pastor pastoral relationships. I was invited as a young man to be in, in men's groups with my grandfather, sometimes my, my dad That's as well. And, and again, you know, small town church experience and where God would have you and how that plays out and finding youth group experience and all of that. But fast forward, I think one last thing I would stick into this, to the answer to this question is the first four years of marriage, my wife and I were attending Trinity Baptist Church there in Santa Barbara. So my wife was still finishing a degree and she became a teacher, like you said, I was working on a master's degree. But the pastor there, Jerry Root, and his family, his wife, his kids, we house sat for them. But Jerry Root took me under his wing and, and I would say, at a very memorable time of being a young married man and really discipled me and began to challenge me as I was early in my career as a teacher, uh, exploring a lot of big questions about the nature of a person, anthropology of man, identity, morality, things like that. Things that matter in the classroom, right? Two things occurred there. He modeled authentic Christian faith, as I already alluded to, right in front of me and taking me under his wing. So I saw him as a husband. I saw him as a father, which I was not yet. Saw him as a pastor and a shepherd. I also saw him as someone who loved learning and loved ideas and loved to have an understanding for our faith and to be able to give a reason for our faith. I knew of C.S. Lewis and had read C.S. Lewis books, but he, my love for C.S. Lewis was birthed with Jerry Rue, who went on to actually do a doctoral degree on Lewis, and he wrote a book called The Quotable Lewis with a colleague, and he actually is a professor at Wheaton College to this day, oh, so he left yes. shortly after I did. He was also very influential in Sonia and I moving from Santa Barbara after she finished some, her credential and whatnot. My master's was done and we went to seminary. Our schooling was in the secular public school setting at the University of California and we went to, to Trinity. So you see some formative things taking place there, but it's all around relationship. It's all via relationship. Yes, so, I love that. Yeah. That's great. Well, you've mentioned Sonia. Tell us a little bit about how you two met and how you fell in love. Yeah, well, <laughs> great. Beautiful story. We just celebrated 33 years. It was at Santa Barbara, so we, she was also a student at UCSB. I was a senior and she was a freshman. And I worked my sophomore and junior summer at a, I kind of affectionately call it the family club med. So families of UC schools and, and friends of them could come to the campus in the summer. And a bunch of us college students would put on summer programming and take care of kids and That's we'd have great. them for a week. It was a ton of fun. Wow. I learned a ton. I grew a lot and gained a lot of skills in, in that. And I did that three summers. Well, as we prepared for the, my third summer, which would have been the summer after my senior year, um, there was this really beautiful young girl that came to also want to work at this camp in her freshman summer. And I kind of had my eye on her from the very <laughs> beginning. And the, and the rest really is history. We worked together that summer at the summer camp. And then I went off to UCLA to get my teaching credential and she stayed to do school. And then we had to make a decision. You know, it, like I'm out of school. What do I do next? Am I going to teach? Am I going to go after? I knew I wanted to do some graduate work. And we just decided, well, we want to spend our lives together. Why would we set up two different homes 
and you know what, what more do we need to understand you know I think it was a bit of a surprise to her to think she would marry someone before her junior year wow so she was 20 That's years great. old and I was 23 yeah. but first and foremost is do you both know the Lord mm-hmm. is he leading you is he is there a belief that he's ordained this and that he will he will be what commitment and unity what makes it possible to try to live out his design for what a family is and if that's there and you see compatibility in a lot of things it's it we had seven years before our first child was born and we traveled and went on mission trips together and finished degrees and that that's wonderful I love that and tell me then about the family that came along yeah. I wanted to have kids. I remember telling the Lord, if I'm worthy of having kids, I always did wonder that. Like, <laughs> when are you ever actually ready? That's right. And we never are. To raise a, a, a brand new image bearer, bring a brand new image bearer into the world and be their parent. Whew. So if I was going to happen, I wanted ideally be before 30. And so we had, were talking about that and really felt after those years and growing together and just the joy we had of the seven years and living in a couple different places that we're ready to see if the Lord would give us a child. And so Madalena was born in the summer of uh, 1996 and we were actually living in Chicago and I had finished my time at the seminary. I did kind of this one year biblical studies. It's kind of like one of a three year MDiv, but really felt called to still do more academic work and maybe was wondering if I was called to serve in a university setting or college setting as an academic and to try to challenge thinking. I think Jerry Root had a lot to do with me thinking, would I be good at that? You know, I know I love to teach, but would I be good at that? And would I be effective in that setting? The story went a little differently in time. So then our son came along in 1998, two years later, both born in in Chicago. His name's Nathaniel. And so, so thankful for those two kids. I'm sure there's a number of things we did well. I know there's a lot of things that we needed to do better and learn, and the Lord grew us and and whatnot. But we were both teaching school, and we learned to live. We we made ourselves live on one salary. Wow. And we did that for two years. And it was really a blessing to have that because my wife was able to just stop working because we'd already learned to just have the one salary. And she always did a number of things on the side, but really it's it's a wonderful thing when one parent can be home. And It is, it's such a precious and important mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. of just bonding, loving, and even training. Yeah. So that is a true privilege. Yeah, and it, it took a little more planning as educators. You know, I'm not making as much yes. money, but it's also about how you prepare those dollars. And the other thing that did is in saving a lot there was that we actually bought our first little house in Chicago way up in the northern suburbs of Waukegan and that was a neat story to actually be able to bring our children home to this little home 50 years old and we were the second homeowners there so kind of wrapped into this neat little neighborhood story but you know um, what happens then is that you kind of need a place to live that was able to translate into the Lord called us back up to California and Put that into the next house, etc. So that was a blessing as well. That's great. So those two years are still with us, not only through the investment of Sonia's time with her children, especially her time, but also this the savings that went into a house that we still live in a house that, in a way, those savings paid to get us into. Wow, that isn't that, that crazy? Is interesting. Think yes. about money working long, long term. Yes, mm-hmm. I love that. 
And we have to, of course, mention Madalino and Pablo and maybe a couple of grandkids. Well, I do want to mention, because there may be other listeners, too, that this resonates with. We actually have three children. Oh, yeah. Right. So yes. the way our daughter loves to say it is we have two kids in our family on earth and one in heaven. And so Sophia Grace was born in Bishop. We moved back to Bishop and we lived there 11 years raising our kids. And I taught in the high school, the 12th grade. There's a long story there, whole other podcast, but Sophia only lived 13 days. And she was born with a couple of unexplained, they knew the conditions, but we didn't know why. Unconnected, that, you know, we're exploring syndromes and all kinds of things. And um, I think still a bit of a mystery to science. But the determination was that she wouldn't be able to sustain life, is that she was born and she had 13 days because they caught those concerns. We were here in San Diego. We came down to San Diego where we're doing the podcast and um, where my wife's family is all from. And the blessing was to have some days with her on earth because of some incredible expertise, quite a team of doctors to intubate her, but that was a short-term thing. So yeah, there came a day after lots and lots of conversations and counsel and pastors to just say science and medicine will actually interfere and not help. And that's a hard place to be. And so we gathered, there were more than 60 people in the room and family and a lot of medical staff when they had to remove the tube and she passed away in my arms. Wow, wow. So big story there. And you know, there's there's a line in a song that has come out recently called Imago Dei. I encourage everyone to hear that song. And um, it talks in the bridge, it talks about more than a miracle, fully intentional, and the idea that it's not a coincidence what a human being is, born in God's image, and the idea that life is God's passion. Mm-hmm. That line is in the song. That's why we hold the views that we do as believers, is that there's a sacredity in a goodness to what God does, even if it's touched by brokenness and things that we can't explain. And, and I do know that everybody that was surrounding the story, including people at my work and whatnot, were touched by the simple celebration, even if it's only 13 days, mm-hmm. uh, of a human image bearer's life. So, wow. Thank you for sharing that. How on earth did you and Sonia get through that? I know you have such a strong faith. What helped you mm-hmm. really get mm-hmm. through that difficult situation that just sadness of losing a child man i i would like to talk about so many things there um, and give credit where it's due to so many and again people really authors even i remember uh, max lucado wrote a book right about that time called it's not about me i would now link just some other passions i have in terms of just looking to our wonderful heritage of faith that is with the scriptures but also you know the wonderful creeds and confessions we have. The Heidelberg Catechism question is very related to what Lucado wrote about, where its very first question asks, what is my one hope in both this life and in death? I didn't have that then, right there, that text in front of me then, but these are all biblical themes, and he was writing about that. And and the answer in that question is that, and it's really a a needed message for our world. It's always a needed message for our world because it's the gospel, but it's it's that I, I don't belong to myself. And so translated here in the story, Sophia didn't belong to Sonia and me. She's the Lord's. Mm-hmm. And when we realized there's no ownership there, as much as she was our child born to us, it was God's doing mm-hmm. from beginning to end. And a lot of doing that we had not explained and a lot of doing that we would have 
not had we're not God. We don't we're not sovereign and providential to know why would we write stories like that? She would have turned twenty one wow. <laughs> this year. She's touched lives. God's used her, you know, maybe even in the short sharing of, in, in this podcast. So um, you know, that was one one kind of thing that helps us get through that. Oh, and by the way, the rest of that answer in the Heidelberg is that not only do I not belong to myself, but I've been I've been redeemed. I've been bought with blood. So that offer is given to all image bearers. So every, every human being bears the image of God, the Imago Dei. But not all image bearers have acknowledged that there's a need that only the blood of Christ can fully and utterly fulfill and them finding out why they don't belong to themselves. In fact, we will wrestle all of our lives without Christ trying to find ourselves. True, I agree. And I think that really plays into one of your other questions about what does it mean to follow Jesus. It means you're not looking for yourself. He's said who we are. And he's continuing in that revelation, letting us know who he's before the foundations of the world. In that song, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but there's a line in that song that says, before my conception, I was known in heaven. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so until yes. he breathed breath into my lungs. So the knowing of who I am didn't occur at the time of breath in my lungs and a, and a birthing. Mm-hmm. So that's good. So only he knows that story from before the foundations. Yeah. And as Psalms one thirty nine says, you know, more thoughts for us than there are grains of sand. Yeah. You know that seems so hyperbolic, but those those kind of thoughts help you get through and look upon. Yeah. Amidst tears, let's be clear, it was a sad and painful and difficult time. Yeah. It sounds like you really clung to what is true about God. Yeah, yeah thank you. and goodness. Yeah. yeah, you know, there's trials that we face. Yes. And I think in each of the trials, like facing the trial with Sophia and trying to understand why, why do we only get 13 days with one child. Right. You know, when Sonia was diagnosed, in my first year here at Calvin in that spring of 19, on Good Friday, Sonia was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And it was a stage three plus it was a very scary time. Yes. And for the first time in my life, facing our 30-year anniversary, there was very open conversations with doctors about this may be the end wow. of her story. Just to hear myself say that now and certainly then, very difficult. Yes. And to, to the point you had made is you cling to the truth that God is sovereign and that he's good all the time and all the time God is good mm-hmm. that wonderful saying right and so there's the nature of God mm-hmm. so we look upon something that is impossible to find what is good a diagnosis of cancer and the treatments she was going to have to face or the death at 13 days of a, of a newborn and so here's something really powerful that God is sovereign he's good and he loves me and pain and suffering in God's hands is nothing like what it is simply in our hands. Mm-hmm. And if you only look at it through what we're, what we're holding in our hands right now, a diagnosis or something like that, it feels hopeless. Especially when you're told your daughter, Sophia, is, is not going to be compatible for life. You're like, wait, wait, we have science. We have right. Or your wife is diagnosed and we're like, we're not sure. We'll see what's going to happen. But it's stage three, there's been some metastasization mm-hmm. in lymph glands. And, and even now, Ellen, even now, you know, she has a clean bill of health, but with her diagnosis, and her, she had a, had a full, what they call a full recovery, I don't remember all the language, but a, a, you know, a full therapeutic recovery through the immunotherapy and, and whatnot. 
But the claim is that cancer is in her bone marrow. Mm. And that if it reactivates or does whatever mm. cancer can do, it very likely would be deadly because it won't just come back to a spot, but it's already in this. Uh, That's a hard thing to hear. Yes. But it's also a reminder of what we probably should each hear every day mm. is that we are terminal. And our lives in our hands today is hopeless if you only look at it in our hands. We better run around and eat, drink, and be merry and kind of squeeze the most out of life if you're only looking at it through your hands. Right. As I go back to that thought, if you look at pain and suffering through God's sovereign alpha and omega, beginning and end, and we only see in part, but we know more about that, right? Mm -hmm. And I would argue in this moment when we're kind of linking our story faith, what does it mean to live a life following Jesus, yeah. is that that question is best understood. What does pain and suffering look like in God's hands? when you look at the cross, mm. right? That, that the most glorious thing that could happen is that God stepped into our world. Wow. God, God revealed himself to us by, by taking on flesh, that he still is in resurrected flesh right now, right? This is why, why our view of the world and the faith we hold to is not just a view, but it's a view that the, the sovereign God of all creation who is triune, and God the Son, the very Word, the Logos, steps in. But he steps in to reveal himself to us and then also to redeem us. That is possible only through the greatest suffering, which wasn't actually even just at the hands of man. It was taken on the sin of the world. Yeah. And as Lewis says in one of my favorite lines in one of my favorite books by Lewis, The Great Divorce, as he says, there's no soul in Sheol that Christ himself has not ministered to. Wow. We do yeah. know that God is good and sovereign and has offered you know, the gift of Christ for God so loved the whole world. So pain and suffering, right? Where does this go? Is pure hope because one man, Jesus, fully man, fully God, didn't stay dead. So our Sophia, seen through the cross of Christ, the greatest demonstration of love and redemption can be seen in, with hope. So we grieved it in hope. We grieve it now in hope, mm -hmm. 21 years. Every other way that you would get through it would be more of a band-aid of making me feel better for the moment. Mm -hmm. But that's looking at our own hopeless lives if we're only doing that through our own hands, not the lens of that we belong to him and we've been bought with blood. Yes, so. and one day we will all be together with him. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. One term you keep bringing up, which I love, is the words image bearer. Mm. Can you explain mm. a little bit more about what that means mm. and why that's so important to you? Yeah, the Imago Dei, from my vocational work, right, my profession as an educator and, and now someone who leads an environment here in Christian education, the most important thing that we could sort out as we engage in this endeavor is to understand the nature of the child, the student, you might call it the anthropology of man. Who's in front of us? And oh, by the way, let's remember, who's the person in the classroom standing in front of the student? What's our nature? What we mean by wholeness of a child is that they're a person, and a person is a being, a created being. Biblically speaking, if you just look at the Genesis account, the pinnacle of God's creation, because God has given us 
our being, the definition of our ontology, our nature, is that we are like him. So there's capacities that we have that he's given us that make us like him. And so that gets really, really complicated. This is how I would say it. Yeah. All the capacities we have, the capacity, the cognitive capacities, emotional capacities, the, the social, relational capacities, all of that is because our nature is a love-oriented nature. Mm. And I think the, the reason that's the right way to think about it is that if we're made in God's image, we remember that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He's triune. Yes. So at the center of the, of the universe is a love relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. And we have to remember that this Father-Son thing, we image that. That relationship doesn't image us. God the Father is communicated in scriptures and there's only so much we, the human mind can get around. But one of those images, one of those pictures is that God is love and light, right? And so when you think that the way in which Father, Son, and Spirit has their being is in this agape, hesed, you know, to use those Hebrew Greek words, it's a love relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit made us with a capacity to know and be enveloped into this covenant communal relationship with the God of the universe. Wow. So that's why we have cognition, because you wouldn't be able to know love and you wouldn't be a, a love-oriented being if you couldn't process and think with words and numbers and concepts and ideas and imagination. Mm -hmm. That exists for the ultimate nature we have. Why we distinguish here, even in the language of our school, and saying students are being invited to be formed by God's love in Christ. It's a love nature they have. To bear God's image is to be lovers after God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And honestly, before we talk about the doing, yes. right, to be able to live lives of wonder and worship and work and wisdom to actually go produce and take dominion. Mm -hmm. And that's why we want to distinguish so much in a, in a Christian school setting between performance-oriented measures. Mm -hmm. Because those kind of things, they're not helpful in any way whatsoever when we're talking about the very nature of a human being. So Sophia, 13 days with a number of medical issues that made her incompatible for life, mm -hmm. nothing about being an image bearer was affected there. But she couldn't talk. We never even heard her cry. Mm -hmm. So from a performance measure perspective, she couldn't do a lot of things. Think about that plays out in schools. Yeah. When kids can't do certain things or they right. don't do certain things as well as others. But if we orient ourselves around our nature being bearers of God's image, we're educating image bearers, not just knowers, yeah. not just people that can show proficiency or exceed proficiency in skills. Yes. Yes. Not because we downplay those things. We've got to remember what matters about all those things. Yes. Why do we have those capacities? Right. And that's because we're made in the image of God after him. Okay, that's great. And you were telling me earlier about place services, mm -hmm. P-L-A-C-E, mm -hmm. and that really plays into a lot of this thinking too, it seems. Tell me a little bit more about what that is and why that's so dear to your sure, heart. Sure, sure. Place stands for planning, loving advocacy for Christ-centered education. So it's what are all the ways that we can plan and work hard to lovingly advocate for this rich, beautiful Christ-centered education for each image bearer, each unique image bearer, and, and how do we do that? Uh, we believe that those services have really helped us advance in what it means to fulfill our mission, to educate the whole child, to partner with Christian families. Not just some of the image bearers in Christian families, but God brings a family. We mm -hmm. think of ourselves as admitting a family, not a child. 
right? So we, we're in partnership with families, parents, moms and dads. Here's another thing that our, that our culture gets so wrong. It's just downstream from the broken thinking about the anthropology of man, the nature mm -hmm. of a human being, and the nature of, of a family and, and marriage and relationship is that parents are by God's design the first teachers in, in that child's life. So we're partnering with who God has placed in a child's life. We can never supplant that role. We come alongside and help them the best we can and do with and for them what they are longing to do. We, we pray for, with their own children. So that's one thing to say about play services. The central point I'll share here. When I was talking a second ago about distinguishing between being and doing, our ontology, our nature, which is image bearing, Right? Our nature is Imago Dei. We don't become more Imago Dei when we perform better. When we get a better grade, we're not like, now you're actually more in the image of God. Great that is just point. not true. So performance is not in any way having a bearing on what is already your nature, what is already true, the way God has made us, regardless of our abilities. I think it's endemic in Christian schools as well, and it grieves me, to be honest with you. In fact, it's almost understandable why what I'm going to say shows up in a public setting, in a secular setting, but it's not at all understandable to me if you're seeking a gospel-centric education for, for children. And so we live in an individualized, performance-based culture and society that says my value goes up if I have more of something that culture wants. Mm. If I'm smarter, yes. if I can throw football more accurately, if I can sing better, until you start seeing it, until you start actually recognizing how it's dripping off of every aspect because of the world we live in. But first of all, we've already distinguished that all of that performance stuff that is God-honoring to develop but not God-honoring to develop in a way that supplants an understanding of who we are in relationship to Him. And you know how that happens? Is it becomes an idol. Idols are simply that which supplants the rightful yes. role that God has in our yes. life. So when our performance involvement begins to do that, we feel less about ourselves, we feel less valuable or more valuable, we get inflated views of ourselves, and then we attach money to those things and social economic status. What's right next to that that we see everywhere in our culture is segregation based on performance outcomes. We'll put you over there, and put you over there, and put you over there. But that only serves a certain kind of purpose in the Christian school setting if your business is to educate image bearers from a gospel-centric perspective. Mm -hmm. And that is to even teach children to make central to your daily curriculum, right? It's helping kids know who they are and whose they are. That's the curriculum. And we use a bunch of materials to do that. But when you think about what's going on there is that we're actually wanting kids to think about the gifts God's given in an appropriate way. So I'm not saying anything new here. This is very, you know, Augustinian in the sense of learning what correctly ordered loves are. Mm -hmm. Right. And just to be clear, Calvin is all about building great academics and sending students to wonderful colleges, etc. But I think what I'm hearing is that that shouldn't be a person's identity. Their identity is in Christ and loving and accepting and cheering on everyone around you. Some people are going to be made to be better at academics, some at sports, some in being loving human beings and kind. 
God, though, is the one who has created each person. And because of that, we are really seeing a part of God in each person and how exciting that is and how important and key it is to respect every single person. And I love your vision of being able to bring everyone on campus, not just being a school that's only for academic strivers per se, but a family of all people because it's not that academics is necessarily better than other aspects or Mm -hmm. attributes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably good to plug in that place is worded and designed and structured those services in a way to also meet those learners that that go above and beyond, that need enrichment, that need to be challenged. So I really think that the big thing to clarify is that when we are performance oriented and our identity is being defined in that, the only outcome is the seeking of our own glory. Very good. Right? Yes. When we realize that it's God who actually made our brains to think through number and dimension and space and design, the only sense that there can be glory in what we do is because it's a smuggled, borrowed sense of glory that belongs only to God. So it's one of those great sayings from our Reformation era, right? Soli Deo Gloria, right? To God alone, the glory. So we first of all give God glory because we can even think about his world in a numbered way or through words and propositions and ideas. And to not love and seek with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to explore that is a dishonoring to what God's given, to not be a good steward of that. And I believe with all my heart, God is very much designed for students to explore and called students to write in extraordinary music and to study math at a super high level and get into cosmology and to use all that God has put in their brain but not for their glory. Great. It will always come back to a misunderstanding of who I am. Uh, I don't bear my own image. Yes. And I don't bear the image of my work. I bear the image of the one and only loving creator, and he's made me to be able to pursue so many things. And that's the only way we actually do give God glory. And Piper has a great saying that I'll botch if I try to quote, but it's this idea of God is most glorified when I'm most delighted in him. Our ultimate delight is not in the work of our hands. That was all God's doing. That's part of how we delight in him. That's great. One other thing we talked about that I'd love to bring out, you were talking about why do students and let's just say people, why do we label people Mm. so label oh this person is this this person is this Mm. and you were saying sometimes it can be from wanting to be superior to another perhaps that can be a motive I've been reading and loving Keller's study on Galatians and he has been talking about how a lot of times we want to compare ourselves and we'll either feel superior to someone or inferior And he talks about the way to combat Mm. feeling superior is that you think, I am also a sinner just like that person. Mm -hmm. I am no better. I need the Lord and his grace and mercy. And then how you combat being inferior would be to know that I belong to the Lord. I've been bought for a very Mm -hmm. dear price. He loves me. I'm his beloved. Mm -hmm. And so I love that way of looking at it, Mm -hmm. but it seems like you try to talk through your students here Mm -hmm. about that issue too, Mm -hmm. that desire to sometimes label Mm -hmm. another. 
you are actually the person who introduced me to Tim Keller. Oh my goodness! I know. We were talking about <laughs> podcasts. You know, I really like to listen to Tim Keller, and this was way back. Think about any books he's written in yes, ten years. Yes. So he's. I'm committed to trying to read all of Keller's books, and um, been praying for him too. All yes, he's going through. Definitely. I think that's a really helpful what you just shared. I just would add, especially in a school setting and with kids, and this is hard, is that it is good for us to think about what it really means for the God of the universe who authored me, that he has thoughts for me. And how, just frankly, ridiculous it is to elevate the thoughts of other created people about what I'm doing. In other words, their praise and the concern we have for their praise, which again is a performance measure, right? Yes. More praise or less praise based on what I'm doing. And remembering that I'm, I'm, I'm just using what God's given and I'm trying to use it to the best of his glory. And it's how I get at understanding more about who he is. Jerry Root, the pastor I mentioned with influence, used to say from the pulpit, you know, do you ever just stop and just wonder what must God be like? And how maybe for the first couple thousand years in heaven we're just going to be in, oh, wow. What must God be like takes the entire redeemed church for all of eternity to continue to grow together as the body of Christ. We're learning more about him. Yes. It's not all of eternity learning more about me. Yes. What about me in the mix here? <laughs> so that's that pride. Yes. So inferiority and superiority is, right. is obviously stemming directly from the root of our of our brokenness, this pride ill-defining of who I am and whose I am and what my purposes are and then believing lies that I need to be better at this in order to and if I'm not better at this then I won't like we're actually inadvertently if we're not careful teaching kids to think that way yes through labels Uh through right and that's what we're trying to do when you were getting at the question about place services is really we're always evaluating our thinking. Isn't that what we do in school? We're learning to learn. We write to develop our thinking, right? This whole podcast is a wonderful way to develop our thinking about what God has done in the lives of image bearers. Mm-hmm. And this you know, lovely work you're endeavoring to share with everybody. So. Yes, yes. That's, that's great. I love that. And I love how you even mentioned the word brokenness because pride is such an ugly word. Mm. But truly, it comes from us being broken and feeling separated from God who loves us so much. Okay, I would love to hear just a few God stories, which I feel like we've already heard some, but I know you have even more tucked away in there. So anything you want to share with everyone about some aspects of the way you've seen God work? Um, or it could even be some thoughts about what you've been learning lately. One amazing God story is my son-in-law, Pablo. Yes. So my daughter did get married in, in July of 18 when I started here. And we're so thankful for him and his family and uh, now two grandsons. Yes. So Santiago oh. and Mateo, a new image bearer, known before the foundations, and now one that happens to be uniquely related in, in a new relationship with the grandchildren is is a great God story. And I'm yes. so thankful for, for my family. And we're excited to see how things are unfolding for my son as he's wrapping up in a master's degree and he wants to come back too and there is a special young lady in his life right now so we'll see what happens with that from freshman year so and and also my parents now after 50 years moved down here and so we still have my mom and dad and we have my wife's uh, mom we're in that really amazing time of 
getting to have some uniquely special time with you know our parents that still have health and enjoying the life God's given there and great grandkids so that's that's wonderful I also want to just be practical and say that we are speaking of gratitude thanking the Lord for the gift of life that Sonia has been given yes so you know she went through chemotherapy and immunotherapy she then had a had a had an unbelievably talk about miraculous from the diagnoses and the counsel we got of the kind of surgery she was supposed to have much much less invasive it feels miraculous that we were connected with this extraordinary doctor down at UCSD that really guided decision making guided decision making of other doctors even the doctor that did the surgery was an intern to that person mm-hmm. and then radiation that was really quite devastating and it now be a couple years past that and the discipline that she has in her eating and exercise and even what she's doing now finishing this master's degree in yes. in counseling yes it's almost like the dry desert soaking of water it feels yes. like a god story that taking what was so ugly she's in a position for as long as god continues to give her me and any of us breath in our lungs to really help and support people very uniquely yes. because of her lived experience wow well thank you so much jeff i'm so thankful for you mm. and sorry i'm getting a little teary the impact you've had on my life mm. you at prep made it such a key area for us to really learn about what does it mean to know that you're loved by God and to love others. What does it mean to really love these students and see them each as an image bearer? So I'm so grateful for that. You know, the impetus of your Mm -hmm. podcast is First of all, you know, there's really no ordinary person. Lewis yes, says that. You never true, meet an ordinary person, true. right? But Jesus is the difference yes. in an image bearer's life. Mm-hmm. So the difference between a redeemed image bearer and, and an image bearer yes. are ultimately worlds apart. A life lived in relationship to Jesus is what Jesus himself would say is, is the evidence is whether we're loving one another the way oh, Jesus has loved good. us. Yes. Right? John 13 and that has nothing to do with a work of our hands and a performance of ours. So when we think about loving better, it's because just like having different measures of faith, as it talks about in Romans 12, you know, God's, God's doing this work. You know, in the grand scheme of eternity, we're all becoming lovers, as I've already said, after Christ mm-hmm. himself. We're being formed in his image. Yeah. So we will love one another better and better and better. So we will. true. And some God has has done some amazing things in lives but again they would be the very ones that would tell you there's no glory in that i know it's all due to the lord yeah. isn't it it really is well thank you yeah, thank you blessings you too thanks everyone for joining us this is ellen bennett with the extraordinary lives podcast